We are this morning in Philippians chapter 4, so if you would like to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at a couple of verses this morning. Verses 2 and 3. And we're starting the last chapter in the book of Philippians. I believe today is the 25th sermon in the book of Philippians. And so we have a few more to go, uh, but I would kind of like for us to maybe refresh our focus. Okay, let's refresh our focus on the book of Philippians uh, because that's actually the turn that the letter takes at this point. Um, it's, it's starting kind of uh, something new and it's getting a little bit more personal to the people in the church in Philippi and that's kind of where we're going to pick up this morning uh, with a new thought. Now, even though there's a new thought in a letter, does it mean that it's removed from the context of the rest of the letter? Well, no, it doesn't. It's still in context of the letter, isn't it? And so we're going to read it as such. So let's turn our attention to Philippians 4. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 together this morning. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, I will tell you that in preparation for Wednesday nights, I've been listening to many, many sermons from people with whom I disagree. And... uh, one of the big things I disagree with is actually their approach to preaching. And so I could, if I wanted to, say, you know, I could do a sermon series on relationship reconciliation and potentially appeal to this verse or these two verses. Because what is this about? It's about two women, Euodia and Syntyche, And they need to find agreement in the Lord. And the church needs to rally around them and help them to agree in the Lord. Now, although this sermon today is going to be an expository sermon, it is also going to be highly practical in taking away with you principles regarding relationship reconciliation. Because believe it or not, yes, the Bible speaks to our relationships. And relationships are important. So let's look at what the text is telling us. I entreat Euodia and Syntyche. We'll pause right there. We don't need to know about what yet. Let's just look at the two people involved. The two names have meaning. A lot of times ancient names are attached to meaning. Their names mean something. The name Euodia means success. The name Syntyche means fortunate. The KJV, if you have it, may even have Euodias. That's a masculine version of the name. It's not correct, though. It's feminine. So it's two women. These are two women, for sure. Euodia and Syntyche is two women. In fact, originally, if you were to look at maybe some older commentaries on this, you would think 
based on their commentary that this was about a husband and wife who were having a relationship squabble, squabble in their marriage. But in fact, it's two women. So what can we learn about these two women? Were they possibly among Paul's first converts in Philippi? Do you remember that scene when Paul went to Philippi? And who was gathered together to pray? Women. A bunch of women were gathered together to pray. Do you remember it says in Acts 16, verse 13, On the Sabbath day, they went outside the gate to the riverside. There was supposed to be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. There were a bunch of women there. In fact, women had a very prominent role in the beginnings of this church, didn't they? And then, of course, we learn about Lydia. God opened her heart to understand and pay attention to what was said by Paul. Is it possible that these two women were there at that prayer meeting? It's possible, but you know what? We'll never know. So, we, I don't know. It could be. But Paul will say later that these two women have labored side by side with him for the sake of the gospel. So what do we know about these two women? Well, some very basic points. That Euodia and Syntyche were women who had a prominent standing and influence in the Philippian church. True, they were women of influence in the church. And now he says, I entreat you. I entreat Euodia. I entreat Syntyche. I think it's helpful to know that this word means to beg. I plead with you. I'm asking you to come alongside me with everything that you have. I'm asking you, and he actually repeats it, I entreat Euodia. And I entreat Syntyche. Do you see how he's treating them both as individuals, but both equally? He's addressing both of them at the same time. Listen, both of you. Because one of you thinks the other one is wrong. I'm talking to both of you. Listen to me. I'm begging you. Come alongside me in this. To do what? To agree in the Lord. And that's the last part of our verse there. So not all is well in the Philippian church, at least with Euodia and Syntyche. Um, how would Paul have learned about their situation? My guess is from Epaphroditus, who had just recently come from their congregation to go to Paul, and now he's there spending time with Paul, and wouldn't you know it, they're probably going to talk. And what are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about the church. And when you talk about the church, who are you talking about? People. Especially Euodia and Syntyche, who have labored side by side with Paul. Paul knew these two women personally. He says, how about Euodia and Syntyche? Well, they're having some problems. Is it possible that Paul has had this situation on his mind from the beginning of writing this letter to the Philippian church? I want to suggest to you that he has. And just glance with me at Philippians 2, 2 through 4. Just look back at it. It's just a couple of verses. Let's see if these couple of verses might have any bearing on a relationship reconciliation between two women in the church. It says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others as more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, does that have implication for relationships? Well, quite obviously, doesn't it? It's actually interesting that in verse 2 and in verse 2 of chapter 2 and in verse 2 of chapter 4, it's actually the same phrase is used. Be of the same mind. It's the exact same phrase. To agree in the Lord literally says to be of the same mind. It's the same thing he said back in 2 to be of the same mind, having the same love. It's the exact same phrase, just rendered differently in English here. Be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat you, I beg you, be of the same mind in the Lord. Okay, so we've learned this so far in Philippians. Very simple, but let's just tie some things together. Those who are in Christ are to have the humility of Christ in order that there may be unity within the body of Christ. Right? This is what we've been learning about, I mean, for the past 25 weeks together. Those who are in Christ, and who is that? Anyone who has had faith in Christ and depended on him wholly for their salvation. You are in Christ. That's the reality of it. That's true, positionally. But now you need to live like it. Now live like you're in Christ. Put on the humility of Christ that there may be unity in the body of Christ. Is the body of Christ to be divided? No, but there should be unity in the body. And that should come from you. Right? Okay, so an overriding principle that Paul has been teaching this church is about unity for those who are in Christ because you are part of the body of Christ. And so what I'll say here, and I'm about to give you an illustration on the screen about this, is the sphere in which you are to find agreement is in the Lord. If you're taking notes, that's at least one sentence I'd like for you to take with you this morning. The sphere in which you are to find agreement is in the Lord. You might think, well, that's awfully basic. We'll see about that. The sphere in which you are to find agreement is in the Lord. Uh, So I have an image here. Let's look at it together. Two circles. The circle on your right says, not in Christ. The circle on your left, which is purple, it says, in Christ. Now these are two spheres of reality. Now if you are not in Christ, guess what's found there? There is conceit and selfishness and the overriding thought of, I am more important than you. This is all coming from our text in Philippians so far. This is just summaries. On the left is a sphere and it is in Christ. And in in Christ, there is love and humility and an overriding thought of you are better than me. Tell me, in what sphere are we to find agreement with one another? The sphere that is in Christ. And in Christ, there is love and humility there. And in Christ, I think that you are more important than me. A simple concept that I think sticks our heart like a knife. 
because we lived our entire life not in Christ where there was only conceit and selfishness thinking that we were the most important person in the world and now we've been changed and now we're found in Christ and I'm not supposed to think this way anymore. I am not more important than you and I need to stop thinking that I am. You are more important than me and I'm humbling myself before you because Christ humbled himself for me. And I am found in Christ, not outside of Christ. Because you would have the same mind and the same love and the same care and the same concern for one another, and you both need to be found in Christ. Now they already are in Christ. It's a true statement. It is done from eternity. They are in Christ. Yes. But are they acting as though they are in Christ? You see the difference. You, this morning, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. No one can take that from you. You can't undo it. It's done. But are you living as though you are in Christ? And if so, let's evaluate your relationships. This is getting tough. Because if you are in Christ, are you treating everyone with love and humility with the overriding principle that you are more important than me? Is that how your relationships are defined in this world? Galatians 5, 24 through 26. I have it on the screen. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Pause right there. Go back. We paused. We've crucified. Done. You've cru- all of us, every one of us have crucified all of our flesh, all of our passions, all of our desires. Are all crucified? They're all dead? You have no more sinful desire in you? That's when the next verse comes into play. So if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you have found your life in Christ, then be living like Christ. Be living in Him by the Spirit. Next, let us not, all of a sudden it turns relational, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see how when we don't live as though we're in Christ, it has relational effects. I look around the room and I know all of you. Some better than others, but I know all of you. And here's the one thing we all have in common. You know what it is? We all have relationship issues. True? I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of head nods there. I mean, it's a reality. Okay, we all have relationship issues, yes? Are you living like Christ in all of your relationships? And yet you're blaming the other people. That's what we tend to do, right? Why is that? Because our tendency is, my image is gone. Thanks, Rob, you're on top of it. Because our tendency is to be here, not in Christ. But don't you realize that you were transferred? 
You don't live that way anymore. You don't live not in Christ anymore. You live in Christ. That's where you live. That's our world. That's how we have relationships. In Christ, where there's love and humility, no longer conceit and selfishness, but I want conceit and selfishness. I want to think that I'm more important than other people because it makes me feel good. Right. But if you are truly in Christ, you need to bow to the lordship of Christ in your life and you need to be living as though you are in Christ and this has relational effects. There is disunity here rather than unity. In the sphere outside of Christ, this is the sphere that is not keeping in step with the Spirit. And if you are in Christ by faith, then live as someone who is in Christ and let this reality be reflected in your relationships. I know what you're asking and the question is on the screen. How can we agree when we disagree? I'd, have, I'd, I'd agree with them if they would just change their mind. I would agree with them if they were right. I would agree with them if they had a better attitude. See, all day long we're going to say, yes, I would agree with them in the Lord, but they're the problem. What do we do with that? Does this mean that we have to be on the same page with absolutely everything? To find agreement in the Lord doesn't mean you need to find agreement, the same exact same thoughts on everything, and, and this is how we find agreement. Is that what we're to do? Is that the calling here? We all need to just be just duplicates of one another. No. It would help to understand that the disagreement between Euodia and Syntyche was relational and not doctrinal. How do we know that? I think by inference here, it's pretty clear. Because in other circumstances, Paul has called those who don't have sound doctrine the enemies, right? The opponents, those who are against us. He's been talking about them in Philippians, right? Does he throw Euodia and Syntyche in there? Does he say, change your view about this? No, he says, you two find agreement with one another. Does he say, Euodia, you need to just change your mind because Syntyche is right? No. You see that the squabble here is relational. It is not doctrinal. They are having relational issues that if they would simply act with love and humility, counting the other as more significant than themselves, they would find agreement in the Lord. And this is what Paul is calling to them. Many times, this may shock you, Just get ready for what I'm about to say. Many times in church, in the church, the issues are relational rather than doctrinal. Are you shocked by that? Say, no, I'm not shocked by that because I'm in the church and I have relational problems. Yeah, I have questions about doctrine and what we believe and that kind of stuff, but ultimately the relationship issues are way up here and the other stuff, I mean, it's, you know, what I mean. The relationships are the problem. True? Thank you. Paul has been giving the church the necessary principles to handle these issues along with the proper theology to even conceive of these principles. Hasn't he? 
Agree in the Lord. He, this is not a new thought. He's saying all of you consider one another better than the other. Serve one another. Be giving to one another. Humble yourself before one another. But you say, how can I humble myself? Well, think about Christ. And think about his humility. This is how you ought to humble yourself so as to have unity in the church and find agreement in the church. And then I look at two women who ought to be of great influence in the church positively, and yet they're having negative impact in the church because they're not finding agreement in the Lord. They are not in step with keeping with the Spirit. They're, they're out of step with the Spirit. They're not finding agreement in the Lord. Or how about this one? Philippians 2, 14 and 15. This is your favorite and mine. Do all things without gungus mooing or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. If you weren't here for that, it means grumbling. Grumbling or disputing that you all may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you, plural, shine as lights in the world. We as the church are to be living differently and it has relational effects. The relationships we have with one another ought to shine like a beacon in the dark. Do they? And so we say in summary, the Lord Jesus calls his church to live humbly with one another in a unified community. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Have you ever been afraid of being consumed by someone at church? I have. probably more often than you. I'll get to why in here in a second. Tell me, have you ever been the one doing the devouring? You can't wait to see them because you're about to unload. You've been storing it up for church. They're going to be there. Here it comes. Why? Why? You are not in that moment living as someone in Christ. Seeking someone to devour? Who seeks someone to devour? Satan. Are you seeking someone to devour by your words? It should not be. But for those who are in Christ, we should be those who are living in Christ where there is love where there's humility, and where we generally think of everyone else, you are more important than me, so I'm not going to attack you. I'm not going to seek to devour you. I'm only going to consider what would be of benefit to you. And when we face disagreements in our relationships, we should humbly consider the other person as more significant. We seek to love them. We seek to serve them. We seek their best interests. We seek not to be selfish. We seek not to be self-serving. Tell me, have you ever had a relationship where you had moments where you were self-serving in those relationships? 
I'm asking a really basic question because I know the answer is yes. I already know the answer, but what I'm trying to get you to see is that this is how we act. But it should not be so. This is what it is to agree in the Lord. Do you see it? You would not have such a disagreement and discord in your relationships if you found yourself in step with the Spirit in the sphere of Christ. If you entered into every relationship and every conversation, every interaction thinking, I'm going to love this person and I'm going to humble myself before them and I'm going to see them as more important than me, tell me, how would this impact your relationships? Would you see a drastic change in the way you relate to one another? A summary here before we go to the next verse. If we are truly, if we are, if we are truly those who are in Christ, then our relationships with one another should reflect this reality. Let's look at the next verse together. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Pause right there for a second. Who is this true companion? I'll give you some options. You ready? Some think it's Timothy. I disagree. Some think it's Epaphroditus. Some think it's Luke. Some think it's the entire Philippian church. Definitely disagree with that one too. This is in the singular. He has nowhere else in this entire letter referred to the church in a singular basis. He's called them brothers. Beloved brothers. So no, it's not the entire church that's being addressed here. If you want my opinion, hold loosely to it. I think it's Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus is the one who we know became a faithful companion of Paul. And he has spent much time with Paul talking about this issue face to face. And so now he's saying, you learned a lot more from me as we talked than I can say in this letter. So now you, the one who has become my faithful companion, help them. You know what I want from them. Help them. It's one man's opinion. But ultimately, I don't know who the faithful companion is. But it doesn't matter. Because the principle holds we know that this person was part of the church in Philippi. That's quite obvious, isn't it? And there's a principle being interwoven here that we need to look at. And the principle is this. Strong believers should come to the aid of those who experience times of weakness. Romans 15.1. It's on the screen, just look at it. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Obligation. Who has made me obligated to such a task? The Lord Jesus himself has. Your master has. You are obligated. We don't like, I know, listen, I get it. We don't like hard and steadfast rules. Nobody likes rules. Rules don't save you. Agreed. Doesn't mean we don't have any. You are obligated by the Lord Jesus Christ to come to the aid of those who are having times of weakness. 
you who are strong, you have an obligation here. Bear with the failings of the weak. Okay, here's what we like to do though. Someone is wrong, okay? I know they're wrong. I know they're wrong. And instead of bearing with their failings and their weaknesses, I'm going to attack them and tell them how wrong they are. I'm going to bite and devour because I'm thinking about elevating myself above them. Oh, here's an opportunity to elevate myself above someone who's wrong. I got you. I've been waiting for you to be wrong, and you're wrong. And I elevate myself above them. Is that how someone uh, relates to someone who is finding themselves in Christ? That I wait for an opportunity to elevate myself above them? Or do I look at them and I say, I know you're having a hard time. And yet we know that there are problems with your situation right now. You know it and I know it. What can I do to be of help to you right now? I want to come beside you. I want to strengthen you in Christ. Be faithful to him. Do you see how that disposition is so different? I'm not, I'm not saying that you're right in what you're doing, but at the same time, I'm not attacking you. I am bearing with you to hold you up so that you don't fall. That's quite different, isn't it? Now, that is true of everyone in the church. Let me tell you something. It is even far more significant for those who are in ministry. Look at the next part of this verse. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So all of a sudden he says, yes, there's the church at large. I, I, I see that. But then you know what? There are some others who have dedicated themselves to a particular task in the church. And the weight is heavy on them. And I think that weight is bearing down on two women right now. Now you might be asking, what, what, what about all this language of women in ministry? I don't know if you said it like that in your mind, but I imagine that you did. Well, listen, I never said here that they're a teaching pastor, did I? In fact, every single believer is called to the work of ministry. But I have some bad news for you. The work of ministry in any capacity involves relationships with people. Did you know that? Unfortunately, we're here. I'm here. The people are here. You know what? Take all the people away. There is no ministry. I heard someone say, and I won't say who said it, although, man, I'm, I'm tempted, but that's not how we act in Christ. And so I, I at least am going to draw your attention to a statement that was made that is incorrect. If there's a way to do ministry without money, I've not found it yet. Wrap your mind around that one. I don't, I don't need money to do ministry. But I do need people. If you run all the people out in your life, you're not going to have anybody to minister to. 
You see it? Don't run people off. Ministry is about people. Bear with them. Bear with them. Don't bite and devour them. Now, how do I know all of us are called to ministry? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 4.10. He who descended is the one who also ascended from far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. What I'm doing in this moment is equipping you for the work of ministry. Now, these two particular women stepped up in some capacity to say, I'm, I'm going to serve here in the church. I'm going to minister to the church in this way. And they became women of influence in the church, loving the church, caring for the church, serving the church. And as they do, and as they are called to a higher measure, guess what they're going to have more of? Relational interaction, because ministry is about people. And if you have more interaction with people, guess what there's more opportunity for? Relational squabbles. I told you I was going to get back to it, and this is why I believe I've had far more relational squabbles in the church than you ever have. Because I deal with people a whole lot more. There's a way out, though. If you just avoid ministering to people, you avoid all the relationship issues. That's, that's one way to go about it. Do we all want to hang our hat on that concept this morning? So the, the, the moral of the story is stay away from people. I don't like people. People get in my way. People are not right. I'm right. Does that mean you agree that I'm right? But here's the thing, did Jesus Christ himself stay away from people? Did he stay away from sinners? Did he stay away from people who were wrong? Did he attack them? Well, yes, some who said that they were right and said, God said I'm right. You know, it's like the Pharisees. Called them a brood of vipers. You know, they were of their father, the devil. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty rough. But it's because they were saying, God told me I'm right and you're wrong. But he was God. So I think he had the right to do so. But listen, are you starting to see the big picture here? There were two women that needed help right now. And he's calling on others. Come alongside them. Help them. Because they are faithful ministers to you. And now you're going to bite and devour them because they're being weak? As if all that has gone undone. I don't care what you've done for me in the past. Right now, I found you out to be wrong. And I'm going to take every opportunity I can to elevate myself above you. It's a bit different, isn't it? Paul is saying, come around these two women Strengthen them. Bear with their failings right now and lead them on to Christ. Show them by your interaction with them what it means to have relationships in the sphere of Christ, of being in Christ, in the Lord. What does it look like to have relationships in the Lord? 
by living in the same sphere. Now, you might ask, okay, but I have people in my life who always live here. They're not even in Christ at all. They've never called on Christ in faith. Tell me, do you have people in your life that you just can't escape them, but they're not believers? And you're awfully frustrated with those people. I don't know how to reconcile my relationship with those people. So if you're telling me the way to reconcile is for everyone to be in Christ, then I'll just sit around and wait for them to be in Christ already. Is, is, that, is that the answer? No matter what is happening with the other person, we are all individually called, just as Euodia and Syntyche were individually called. We are all individually called to be in Christ with our relationships, regardless of what the other person is doing. You see that principle there, right? It has to be inferred by what's being said here. You be in Christ, but what if the other person's not? You still be in Christ, no matter how wrong they are. And sometimes people are wrong. Sometimes you're wrong. Isn't it better to take the humble position and say, you know what, I could be wrong? (laughs) Yeah, take a breath and say that. But what if in all your relationships, whether the person is a believer or not, what if you were showing love and humility in that relationship and what if you were considering that person as more important than yourself? Tell me, would things be different for you relationally? And would you be building relationships with people that shine like a, like a beacon in the darkness? Because the rest of the world lives there. And when you have relationships that are those found in the sphere of Christ, you are going to shine. Because who acts like that? No, you ought to get mad. I, I used to have a boss who told me, you need to get mad. You need to work on getting mad. That's how he was training me for a new management position. Okay. You need to learn to get mad. You know what I'm talking about. That's how you get people to do what you want them to do. You get mad at them. That's how he was training me. Okay. Because that's the only way we know how to operate outside of Christ. Is to think about me you are going to be dealing with people who either, one, live in the world of me or they just came out of the world of living in me. Right? They either live there or they used to live there. And guess what? You used to live there too. Do you not have some kind of sympathy for those people locked in that? Jesus Christ had sympathy on your condition when you were locked in that and now you can't have sympathy on another? I think there was a parable about that. I think we can learn much from Euodia and Syntyche even though we don't know a whole lot about them. We know that they had a moment of weakness in the relationship in the church. Do you realize that when the church had this letter read that their names were named? I mean, he named names. He, just, he didn't say, some of you are disagreeing in the church and I think you should stop. No, he said, Euodia and Syntyche, I'm calling you out by name in front of the church. How would you like it 
if, by the way, I know some of the relational squabbles here. What if I called you up and I said, you and you agree in the Lord in front of the whole church? Paul did it. We are held accountable to a standard. The standard of being in Christ. If you are in Christ by faith, here's the call to us. Then live like it and let your relationships reflect this reality. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and you came and sought us out in our pathetic condition. You loved us. You humbled yourself. And you called us into salvation, not based on any goodness in us, but based on the merit of Jesus Christ. And God, sometimes it's hard for us to remember and gain perspective in all of our relationships, especially in the church. God, I pray for Fellowship Renewed Church. I pray for us that we would have relationships with one another that are like a bright, shining light in a dark world as we are called to. But not only as we gather corporately, but also in our individual lives, I pray that as we go out into the world, that still, even in that, we are shining as lights and people are thinking about us. Why do you act that way? You ought to get mad. But God, I pray, help us to not set the wrong examples in front of us and act like the world and act like those outside of Christ in our relationships. That's not what we're called to. We're called to live in the sphere of Christ in that world. We're called to live in Christ. And this definitely affects the way we interact with one another. And so I pray, Lord, teach us what this means and help us to all agree in the Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.